Hello and welcome to Healthcare Business Leaders Podcast. I'm here today with Jim Fitzsimmons. Jim has developed and implemented solutions for hospitals and health systems faced with challenging political and financial situations. He was CEO and founder of Ingram Associates, a revenue cycle management company specializing in early out self-pay, bad debt collections, insurance follow-up, and coding. Uh, I've also added, uh, I've requested that Jim join us today to share some of his experience. Jim is a Today, a partner at MedCycle Management, leading an extraordinary team of billing and follow-up experts in self-pay and uh, commercial government resolution. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very excited to uh, to be getting your perspective on things and how uh, this environment is changing and evolving as a result of the pandemic and the consequent financial crisis or a health health financial crisis as well as health crisis. Oh my gosh. I, I, you know, it's amazing that in 90 days ago, what we thought were our challenges for 2020 and what our mission and objectives were and our goals were. And um, two weeks go by and the next thing you know, your world's turned upside down and everything you've been working on. Now you're, you're trying to redeploy and figure out how you're going to function in this new environment, which appears to be sticking around a whole lot longer than we hope for, and maybe with us for the foreseeable future. It's a, uh, it's been a wild ride. That's for sure. Right. Absolutely. Well, how is your particular area and the AR revenue cycle affected? Because obviously different areas of the economy and then specifically different healthcare business service companies are affected in very different ways, depending on how they work with the health systems and hospitals. So I guess, how is your particular area or subspecialties affected? Well, the AR management industry has been greatly affected by this crisis, both for the healthcare provider and the outsourcing business partner, such as us. Being forced to deploy 100% of the staff for what is essentially a call center type environment creates just huge challenges to overcome. Fortunately, technology has been the key to allowing us to not lose functionality or production and provide the additional oversight to manage individuals in this delivery method. Many of our clients, shoot, they've been forced to send people home without the option to work because of both system limitations and the ability to enforce controls to ensure compliance. This crisis is likely to have changed our industry for the long term, not just the short term. We've had to basically figure out how do you remotely deploy every tool and every system utilized in your work from the basics like time management systems to the more complex, such as predictive dialers, workflow management tools, remote system connectivity to different hospital systems, your QA tools, and of course, employee production and reporting tools. And then add this on to having remote leadership team as well. That requires a host of additional various communication and oversight tools. I mean, it just creates a, a complex web and a very different way to manage staff. We've also seen that you know training and disciplinary processes of the past really just no longer work. So it's been a huge impact. Wow. Well, let's let's unpack that a little bit. So obviously, patient volumes down, so that affects you guys and anybody in the revenue cycle space enormously. Yeah, so it's it's been interesting. You're you're right. So um, we have one facility, 250 bed hospital, that was down to less than 10 patients at the facility. So it's dramatically impacted the the financial strength of organizations. Now, with the way we function, 
a lot of what you, know, you, you build today. Insurance company pays you know, 30, 45 days later, Medicare quicker, but, but your self-pay may not pay for another 45 to 120 days even after the insurance has been paid. So we have money coming in from past services delivered. The real impact is about to hit us or started hit us now, and we'll probably stick around for the next 60 days post when we open up and we start doing elective procedures again. So the financial strength is the, the stresses are coming now because we've had the cash coming in for a while. We've actually seen an increase in, in, in cash, ironically. So many people have uh, been paid. You know, yes, our unemployment rate has jumped up dramatically, but there's a lot of people that got stimulus checks that still have a job. Um, whether they're going to work or not, that we're still being paid. So we've actually seen a, a quite a substantial increase in, in the average payment being made by patients on their outstanding self-pay portion. That's been one of the interesting things. That is going, obviously going to, to dry up the more people lose their jobs in the long run. Absolutely. That makes sense. So as elective surgeries come back, do you think they're going to come back to the level they were at before? Or do you think that it's going to be impacted by the general economy? Yeah, that, that's a that's a tough one. There's, there's so much that I think most people don't think of as elective that hospitals, you know, consider elective, you know, a collapsed lung. I don't think a lot of people think of that as elective procedure, yet in a lot of instances that can't be done during this COVID environment. It's not something that's considered, you know, critical. Um, so there's a lot of things that get lumped into what we consider elective. I do think there is a huge pent up demand of things that haven't been addressed. Um, that are going to need to get addressed that are critical to somebody's health as far as to the cancer side that haven't been addressed that are going to need to be addressed. But there's a fear factor that's out there and how quickly people will overcome the fear of going to the physician or going to their doctor is probably going to take a while and be different in, in different areas. You can see it on how the states are reacting. Some are much more aggressive at trying to open and some are much slower at trying to open and I think there's a fear factor there that I don't know how we can predict how far that's going to reach into the future to get people to go back out for some basic healthcare needs that aren't currently being met. I know our hospitals um, here locally in Tennessee are trying to aggressively reopen and they're starting to see as many as they can. Yeah, absolutely. And that opens the door, of course, to telehealth, right, being more widely deployed oh, yeah. and adopted which is yes. a whole nother, a whole nother topic for another time. But going back to what you were talking about before, I'm curious to get your take on how management supervision and employee supervision has changed. Cause you mentioned that, and I think it's an important point. Maybe you can share some realizations you've had or best practices you've evolved yeah. that may help others. Sure. So it was interesting when this happened and we were forced to deploy hundred percent of our staff, we'd already had about 20% of our staff working remotely. So fortunately it was not a new concept to us. Our tools were limited in our capacity. So we had to rapidly expand our, our capacity, but it wasn't something new to us. The challenges has really come around the more permanent changes we we're forced to make have been around management of remote staff by a remote leadership team for the most part as well. So communication, goal setting, goal tracking, performance reporting have all become major priority. The amount of effort we put in from the starting the day 
so that when just to make sure people actually show up when they're supposed to show up and are primed to do what they're supposed to do when you can't see them, you can't walk down the the hallway and down through the different offices to just to verify what you have today. So it's a very big challenge just to start the day to make sure that everything's firing on, on all cylinders to begin with. So much of our daily efforts are structured around the start of the day and, and, and goal reporting throughout the day. So you're doing uh, like a Zoom call in the morning to kick everybody off and set goals for the day? And if so, how long is that? Yeah, so multiple things. So we do utilize you know things similar to Zoom. We use a lot of Microsoft Teams, um, and we have separate entities. So you've got you know Team One, Team Two, Team Three, Team Four, et cetera, that are all together that are that they can communicate. So we try to create an environment that's similar to what it was in the office, where you could literally you know lean over and ask somebody a question while well, you're doing it via your computer now. So we have as many as three different monitors sitting on everybody's desk in their, in the remote environment now. And so we've got communication tools as well as the production and management of the workflow tools displayed on an ongoing basis. There's easy ways then that they can basically raise their hand and they can get attention from a colleague. They can get attention from a supervisor. They can get attention from a manager. And we can get their attention vice versa. We can communicate individually or we can communicate openly within the group. So there's there's been a real uh, robust deployment of visibility and communication tools. And then go along with that is throughout the day, the ability to motivate people that you can't see. So it's how much are you putting out there, letting them know where they are, how much they have yet to try to get through to succeed for lunch where we are for our daily goals. We report status on a weekly goal, um, usually twice a day. So, and then we report our monthly goals quite frequently throughout the week as well, so that people can see where we're standing. And, and then we do a ton of success celebrations. And it can be just a verbal. It can be that you're, we do a lot of things with gift cards as well, just ways to recognize and promote the top performers constantly to try to keep focus and attention throughout the day. It's a very different way to manage, that's for sure. Is it more statistics oriented in terms of how you grade employees and view their results than it was in the past? Because that's it's a more objective criteria and it's more easily viewed. It is very statistic driven because um, you, I think for this method to work, you really have to have a clear understanding of what people's goals are. And it can't be something that's measured too far out. It's got to be something that you can you can break up into smaller bits that you can see an end to each one and keep people focused to get to that next win. Um, so it is very much statistic driven. There's that's for sure. From the communication, there's a whole no, another level that's really morale driven that we still try to make them feel part of a family. You know, it was real easy when you're in the office and you can do things as a group and we can have celebratory lunches or we can take something in the afternoon and, and do something as a group trying to create that, that feeling that you're part of a family. To me, that's important for limited turnover, for having people feel that they're part of something so that they're not just looking for that 50 cent raise or that whatever the, the next job opportunity is that they're, they're, they feel part of something. So the morale side of it is, is a little more challenging. And that's also the communication of celebration and rewarding people and recognizing people and bringing out 
you know, things are so-and-so just got married. So-and-so just had a grandchild, whatever it is, trying to create something that's more personal as well. If that makes sense. No, that's terrific. What percentage of your team, if, if this pandemic were all over and tomorrow and everybody in life went back to quote unquote normal, how many of these people would you bring back into the office or would you, now that you've made this change, continue some of it? We would probably continue at least 50% remote. One of the benefits of remote is that you have access to a lot more quality opportunities for hiring because you aren't limited to just how long the drive is. I, I'm still not reaching out beyond where people can come in. There are things that we, even if we didn't have restrictions from, from COVID, I still think there's things that are important for participation. So for the most part, I still would like people to be able to come into the office, but now you can reach out to people that might have an hour, hour and a half, one way drive. But if they've only got to come into the office once a month, it's not such a big deal. But we don't project bringing in more than 25% of our IT staff and 30% of our leadership team and leaving about 80% of our production staff remotely on a go forward from this. Wow. So this is a very important structural change that was sort of a shock that that forced in a sort of a trend that was already happening, but it's accelerated this distance. So do you see this as you don't need as much office space as a result of this? Absolutely. We are not going to be required to have the same level of office space. Now, but with that said, if we are going to continue going forward, and I think you see a lot of of uh, building managers in New York and other places that already talked about how they're going to reevaluate and set up for the go forward for the long term with the social distancing guidelines. If if we're having to create a lot more space per individual, then basically you might find that even if we wanted to, our building would only hold 50% of the staff that it held before. You got challenges with elevators, you got challenges with break rooms, you've got challenges with with lots of things besides just where they sit in order to accommodate all the social distancing requirements. So if you were to keep those those guidelines in place because if something happened again, then you are limiting how many people you could bring back anyways. So we expect that we can probably drop about a, a third of our space um, with what we plan to bring back in the office. Interesting. Does the work from home model, besides giving you a larger employee pool to draw from and potentially reducing the cost of housing for your workforce, right? If they can be farther out from the Nashville area, they can potentially uh, increase their quality of life without increasing their pay. But are there other financial benefits to this sort of restructuring from a more remote workforce? Yeah, there's it gives us a great opportunity with primarily what I consider the frontline workforce because it expands our pool. It gives us the ability to offer them things that lower their cost of living. So now somebody that's an hourly employee and has an hour drive each direction, that's a, that's a lot of time commitment. That may be additional daycare. Um, it, it could be whatever those additional costs, dry cleaning, et cetera, because of coming into the office, you can reduce their their costs make their day get all eight hours out of them without overlapping on either end of the day into their family time. So we can really focus them and get a great production 
where our cost really is driven upwards in this model is on the leadership side, because it is much more time consuming to manage these individuals in the remote environment. The amount of engagement that you have to have limits just how many people each manager can literally oversee. So we end up with a higher cost of leadership, but that to me is easier to solve than trying to have that additional cost of all the social distancing and changes to, I mean, just the simple things, the elevators and buildings just become a a major source of challenge and trying to time people coming in and out of buildings and how do you start a workforce that you want 20 people to start all at the same time? Well, how do you, how do you manage that? Additional leadership is is much easier from our perspective. Yeah, that's really interesting. The worry and concern that that employers have had in the past have been that, well, my employees aren't going to be as productive if they're working from home, their kids are screaming, the dog's barking, Ah. you know, people are walking in, they don't have a proper home office set up. So I know you said that you're doing a lot of things to measure and track in real time the production and effectiveness of your employees. But in an environment where you maybe don't have something quite as black and white as, you know, let's say collecting payments or uh, receivables, how might people be able to adapt to this environment and ensure that their employees are productive when they can't necessarily track as easily? Maybe they have consultants working for them or different things that are less, less easy to measure. Yeah, I I think it's tough. I, I You know, I see from my experiences in the past from executives, uh, senior salespeople, all types of professionals that not everybody works well from home. And it might be distractions because of their environment that they're in at the house, or it might just be because they have a hard time focusing when they have them. Now, some people have to go to the gym to work out. They can have all the equipment in their house, but they still just can't seem to take the time to spend an hour with the equipment in the house. But if they take that 20-minute drive to the gym and then they work out. So it's sometimes it just really doesn't matter what level they are at. They still just aren't good employees from home. I would say when we went mass and sent the other 80% of our staff home, we had to upgrade um, one manager that could not make it working from home. And we probably had about an additional seven individuals that have been in a very tight spot with their performance. We, we do a bottom 10% every month. And if you land in that bottom 10% for three months, um, usually people resign. But if they're in the bottom 10% for three months, they either have to look for another open position within the company or they're just not working out. So we had some people that were that did well in the office that didn't do well working from home. Now, we have given them an option to come back into the office as soon as possible. But not everybody, I think, is going to work from home. And if we do have the fortunate ability to track production and track work and we record all calls, et cetera, so we do have an ability to do oversight. My management team, sales team, leadership team, that's where it's tougher to see it immediately. Their failures tend to take a little time to show up. But unfortunately, I, I, I don't think everybody's a good candidate to work from home. Those that are thrive and those that aren't, we've had some, I just don't think you can teach them to work from home. Right. How intense was the IT investment that you had to make from a cost standpoint? Was it uh, very significant in order to enable more computers and more screens? The um, For healthcare, the, the really the challenges, security protocols, firewalls, 
our big investment really came down to our token ring and, and our the way our IT systems are structured such that it really doesn't matter where you sit. Everything functions identically the same, regardless of whether you connect while you're sitting in the office or you connect remotely. Similar to how you can make a payment on your phone versus you can make a payment at the store with your credit card. You know, the, the security protocols that access that information and transmit that information, it doesn't matter how it's done, it's still secure. So it was creating that that security environment, that secure environment that was the most time consuming and costly. And had we not already had it for a portion of our staff, expanding it would have been, you know, time we couldn't have done it in, in three weeks. It would have taken closer to probably three months. And not all systems work well in a distributed environment, which is why so many of our customers have sent anywhere from 200 to 2,000 people home without the option to work because they just couldn't set up the secure protocols. And there's, you know, with, with healthcare, there becomes the next layer of there's a process for us to certify the space that they're in. So you, you have somebody that's working from home and can't be sitting at their kitchen table in the healthcare environment because you, you got to secure everything on your screen. You, gotta, you can't print anything. So you have to lock out all printing ability. Anything that's printed has to print at our office. Um, so there's just there's a host of uh, technology components that you've got to deploy, and it is not inexpensive. Right. And as a result of this, do you see then, because you mentioned a lot of your clients sending their clients home, do you see this as a boom to business because you do have the capabilities and you've made investment in infrastructure that you can leverage on behalf of your clients? I would think there's a great opportunity for that. I did a webinar a little while back related to this. And specifically, I think hospitals are going to have to be making some choices. Do they invest in the technology? Do they invest in the IT protocols? Do they build this option out so that if it happens, they can manage it? I think the better method is find a business partner that's already done this and has the ability to do it. You can leverage them. You don't have to do it all yourself. You know, risk can either be mitigated or it can be shared. And this is a way or shifted. And it's kind of like shift some of that risk and share some of that risk that already has this capability. And so we've we've got several of our customers that we've expanded just to at least take the patient incoming calls, take the inquiries, do some rebilling, make do some payment processing for them, keep some basic functions going because we were already a business partner with them. But I think there's going to be an internal evaluation that, that a lot of hospitals are going to be making of what's our cost to build versus what's the cost to partner. And obviously, I think it's going to be cheaper to partner, but I think they'll be evaluating that for sure. That's terrific. Well, any, any concluding thoughts on uh, any insights you'd like to share with other leaders in the healthcare business services space? Any words of encouragement or otherwise? Well, I, I certainly think that we can't underestimate the risks and the time frame that we're going to be facing with this. There's a lot of political headwinds blowing around this crisis, as well as the real challenges from the virus. I think the end of this is likely to be pushed out far longer than it would be without necessarily all the political headwinds. So I think you really need to evaluate your tools, really closely at how you manage your staff, how you communicate with your staff, and how you motivate your staff, and how you perform your QA. Hiring and training process are going to be more important than ever. And definitely consider a BP to help mitigate, share, and shift some of that risk if we have to do this again. We're going to get through this. 
We faced a lot of challenges in the past as an industry. This is just another one. Unfortunately, I think we will have a consolidation potentially from some of this, but it's all doable. Managing a remote staff for all this functionality is, is already out there. It's just leveraging somebody to help walk that path. Terrific. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time. Anyone would like to get information about MedCycle Management, it's mc-mgmt.com. Jim Fitzsimmons, Jim, thank you so much for your time, for your insight. I learned a lot. Very excited to share it with everyone else. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me participate. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Bye.